Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. You're listening to the Huddle Up Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up Podcast, the victorious edition of Gut Reaction, presented by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me is my co-host and partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the Denver Broncos, it seems it's been a long time since they won a game, but hey, they're 1-0. It's been a long time since they won on the strength of their offense, too. So, so a wild affair, but I'm happy they came out victorious. Yeah, I think we'd have to go as far back as week two of 2017 to be able to point to the offense as the deciding factor in the Broncos bringing home a dub. It it was almost the reason they lost that game too, but it was a very encouraging effort by the Broncos offense and all the pieces are to come together. So it was uh, nice to see in week one. We have so much to get to in our gut reaction here today, but first please make sure everybody you're following the show on Twitter. Also make sure you're following mile high huddle 24 seven sports on Facebook, there's two Facebook pages, one for Mile High Huddle, one for Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports. And also, if you haven't done this, take some time wherever you listen to the show. I don't care if it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube, Google Play, uh, Spreaker, what else? Spotify. Take some time, leave a creative review, rate the show. It's absolutely vital and important. If you love us, take some time, leave a review. We also love hearing your thoughts on how we're doing on the show. Also, one last piece of quick business before we dive into Broncos Seahawks, we got to say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. You guys go out and get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles that you can choose from, whether you're on iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. We don't always have time to sit down, turn the pages on the books that we want to read, but Audible allows us to get these books under our belts while we're doing other things. So you love listening to podcasts, I promise you're going to love Audible, and we're giving you a chance to get a free book and a 30-day free trial. Go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, so the Denver Broncos emerged victorious at home. It was There's some questionable moments there. It was in doubt for a minute late in the game, but the Broncos win 27-24. And I think the first thing we got to talk about here today, Zach, is Case Keenum, the gunslinger. And I wrote after the game that he was a gunslinger in week one in both the best and the worst sense of the word. He finished with uh, an impressive stat line except for the interceptions. If we go and look, uh, he went 20. Keenum finished 25 of 39 for 329 yards, three picks, three touchdowns, a rating of 84.2. What what was uh, your immediate takeaways and in your analysis on Case Keenum in his official Broncos debut? It was weird because on one series, you'd see exactly why the Broncos handed him $36 million, and the next series, you wonder if he was any better than Trevor Simeon with the mistakes that he was making. Overall, I thought there was more good than bad from Case Keenum. 
And they they really didn't hire him to be a gunslinger. They didn't give him that money to be a gunslinger. That's not his mentality. That's not his game. They wanted him to manage the game, to be a game manager. And he he managed it, and he almost gave it away. So I, I like what I saw from him. But those interceptions, especially the last one, were just terrible reads, terrible decisions. And he cannot make those throws. They're paying him a lot of money, and they need more from that. They almost gave away the game. But fortunately, he ended up winning that game with that touchdown to Demarius Thomas. The one thing I'll say, I mean, there was a, a lot of things about Keenum's performance that I loved. A lot of good takeaways. I mean, just his pro, his ability to move the team up and down the field. I mean, the Broncos finished with 470 total yards, which is just phenomenal for an opening uh, opening game performance. But the one thing, here's the thing. Everyone that's tripping right now and maybe overreacting and knee-jerking, I, Denver Radio is going to be going crazy over this all week <laughs> long. Everyone that's tripping on the interceptions. Here's the thing, though. Yes, it led to 14 points, okay, for the Seahawks. Yes, it turned this into an actual game instead of the Broncos blowing out the Seahawks. But every time Keenum was tested, he responded. So he'd throw a pick, and instead of coming back on that next possession where the Seahawks would score, for example, he didn't go into a shell. He batted down the hatches, buckled down, and freaking got after it, moved the Broncos. In fact, you brought up that that touchdown that gave the Broncos their ultimate lead that they did not relinquish to Demarius Thomas. And I think the television broadcast did a great job of pointing this out, but Keenan was just coming off another interception, a bad one. And on that touchdown to Thomas, he threw it late, which required Thomas to kind of do some acrobatic stuff there. But he threaded the needle uh, through some traffic. So that's the one thing I like, is, is, Zach, is that Case Keenum responded to adversity. Let me just say, on that drive you're talking about, and I agree that he didn't go into a shell, and that's what you saw with Simeon and Osweiler and Lynch the last couple of years. One mistake would just torpedo them, and and Case Keenum has more confidence in himself than that. But on that last drive, on the drive that he threw that touchdown to Thomas, the first, the pass before that that set up the touchdown was that completion to Jake Butt. Right. When he was about to be smashed, mm. and he hung in there and delivered. That was a, a third down, I believe, and he converted a first on that play. Mm. That set up the touchdown. But the touchdown to DT, he threw that in an airtight window. Yep. There was, I don't know how it got past the defender, but there was no room for error with that throw. And I came away believing, like, yeah, this is the right man for the job. Yeah, he, he yes. is earning his money. And I was very impressed by the way he he was resilient and he battled back from those turnovers so I give him a lot of credit yeah that's a good point because that pass to to butt man he was under pressure and he stood tall and just like Mike Zimmer said shows those those big balls of his taking the shot <laughs> as he delivered uh, the pass to butt but I think overall you know you, one thing you got to keep in mind too is that it's a new quarterback in a new city with new uh, players and receivers around him and there was going to be some rust there was going to be some miscommunications. I mean, this is not a an offense that's been playing with the same quarterback for years and years. Like, for example, even in Seattle or Green Bay or New Orleans or L.A. Chargers. I mean, this is there's some new pieces here that the Broncos have stitched together, so there's going to be some hiccups. It's to be expected. That first pick, I think, with Keenum, that was more of a miscue on Demarius Thomas, uh, obviously not being on the same page. DT talked a little bit about that after the game. The other two were questionable. One, fortunately, what, there wasn't enough time left in the second quarter for that second interception to bite the Broncos. But as right. you said, Zach, that third interception was just atrocious. And here's the upside. If Keenum can clean up that decision-making, tighten it up, the Broncos, I mean, this is an offense, dude. We're going to talk about some of the other aspects of the offense here next, but this is an offense that has the capability to be prolific in 2018. 
They do, and when you think about it, it's the best quarterbacking performance we've seen since Peyton Manning. And when you just put that in perspective, uh, it's it's really sets the bar high for this Broncos offense. They're not going to be the 07 Patriots or the 99 Rams, but they don't have to be. With the defense they have and Von Miller playing like Von Miller, and we'll talk we'll talk about him in just one second here, they just need a capable quarterback. But a guy throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns, uh, it really opens the door for a, a big-time potential with this Broncos offense and the team as a whole. Absolutely. we got to move on and talk about the thunder and lightning combination that is unfolding for the Broncos, backfield with Philip Lindsay and uh, Royce Freeman just absolutely lighting it up. Now, Freeman's performance in the debut was a little bit slower to get rolling, but he really showed his worth, especially late in the game with the Broncos trying to protect that lead and grind out the clock. But Philip Lindsay proved to be the, the phenomenal playmaker that we saw flashes of in the preseason. And the one thing that really struck me, Zach, and actually surprised me, was how much the Broncos featured Lindsey in game one as an undrafted rookie who didn't even go to the combine. I mean, that's, that is an indictment on all 32 NFL team scouting departments that he didn't even – I mean, he went undrafted, and the Broncos at least get a pass somewhat because they ended up making him a priority free agent after the draft. But – all 32 teams missed. I mean, he was playing like the type of guy who was drafted in the second round, Zach. Right. Yeah. And I'm starting to question whether he's the Broncos' best running back. And that might be a way too soon take to make because I know Royce Freeman has a lot of potential, which we saw today. But he's definitely leapfrogged Devontae Booker on the depth chart. There's no oh, question yeah. about that. No yeah. question. And and he is just a superior pass catcher. He has way more wiggle, playmaking ability. If he can just shore up his pass protection, he can be a number one running back. At least in this system, in this scheme, in this committee, and uh, I was I was blown away, and I knew he'd be a good pass catcher. But what stuck out to me was he was a good, you know, between the tackles runner yeah. too. Yeah. He was given carries on first and second down. He was given some series in there. And it just it, it seemed like when Devontae Booker was in the game, they were just playing him just to play him. He It didn't seem like they even wanted to play him. They knew that they had a hot hand with Phillip Lindsay. And I think the Broncos intentionally kept their cards close to their vest with how they wanted to use him. Elway said, we're going to give him six to eight touches per game <laughs> right. before the season started. You know, he had that in a half. Mm-hmm. So they have big plans for him, and he's shown just a little bit of his ability, and it's very, very promising. Both guys carried the ball 15 times, Freeman and Lindsey, and they both actually rushed for 71 yards. But Lindsey ended up with over 100 yards from scrimmage when you factor in his two receptions, which included that opening touchdown for the Broncos, anyway, of the game. So absolutely phenomenal. The Broncos achieved 25 first downs on the day, and a lot of that had to do with the rhythm that they were able to establish due to Royce Freeman and and Philip Lindsey pound on the rock. And, you know, Devontae Booker was kind of an afterthought. And to be frank, that's kind of the way it needs to stay. I mean, it needs to remain that way. Every time he was on the field, the offense kind of ground to a halt. And so, you know, don't think that the coaches aren't going to notice that on film. And again, it goes back to the last podcast we did with the Broncos ultimately choosing to cut D'Angelo Henderson, who turned around and thumbed his nose at the front office by signing with the New York Jets practice squad when the Broncos, from what I've been told, were actually interested in re-signing him to the 53. Don't you think D'Angelo Henderson probably would have been the more capable playmaker anyway as a number three running back behind these two young guys than Devontae Booker at this point? 
I do, but again, what gave Booker the edge was his seniority and his his chops as a pass catching back and a pass blocking back. But as you've seen today, he's just irrelevant in this Broncos offense, at least through one game. It's way too soon. I'd like to have Henderson back, but you just cannot carry four running backs and a fullback. Someone had to go, and unfortunately it was Hop. Uh, But I want to say this about Royce Freeman. I want to give him credit for one. He had had a couple nice runs, but he was a punisher. Mm -hmm. In the fourth quarter, you want a guy who's going to wear down the defense and chew up the clock and close out a game. And that's exactly what he did. He single-handedly and literally carried the offense on his back, on his shoulders, on his legs, on that final series to us, you know, cement victory. So with that one-two punch, it's a true thunder and lightning. And not so much with Devontae Booker. He's out of the picture, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. It is Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay. And between those two, they have a very, very, very promising backfield. Absolutely. A lot of fantasy owners, you know, picked up. They heard the news that Royce Freeman had won the starting job and named the starter. But it's going to be Philip Lindsay, the hot ad for everybody on the waiver wire this week, because, you know, he received more touches technically than the starting running back, and he found the end zone. So tip your cap to that young duo. They uh, basically together combined for about 175 yards from scrimmage. So it's a good sign that this Broncos offense has that backfield power slash playmaking explosive type of element that has really as a dynamic been lacking from this offense for for quite some time. Not to diss C.J. Anderson, but (laughs) besides C.J., they didn't have that compliment like it seems they do now with Freeman to uh, Philip Lindsay. How cool is it, though, for Philip Lindsay to be a, a native of Colorado, an Aurora native? He went to Colorado. He was a standout there. He he made the Broncos as an undrafted free agent. He made the final roster. He received his childhood idol's blessing, Terrell Davis, to wear his number. And he goes out and scores the Broncos' first touchdown of the regular season. It's just a true Cinderella story that not even Hollywood can script. So uh, a ton of uh, praise for him, a ton of credit for him. And I'm happy to see him succeeding because he is a really, really good player here's another thing to get excited about you guys the keenum to emmanuel sanders connection now sanders finished the day as the leading receiver on the team here's what really struck me zach is he had 11 targets sanders he hauled in all but one of them 10 receptions for 135 yards and a touchdown plus uh well just overall he was he was a phenomenal asset to this team a feather in the cap for case keenum and clearly up to this point sanders is that emotional security blanket i think for uh case keenum but one last thing i want to mention before i serve this back over to you is sanders finished with 11 receptions or excuse me 11 targets on and 10 receptions dt finished with 10 targets but he only hauled in six we're going to talk more about dt in the mailbag but he had a couple of drops too. So at least that that connection has been established between Keenum and Sanders. Of all the things that we saw today, the Sanders and Keenum connection was the least surprising to me. In my Facebook Live before the game, I said, if you have Emmanuel Sanders, go start him right now. Because all we saw in the summer, all we saw in training camp and the preseason was that Keenum and Sanders connection taking hold. They have tangible chemistry that was built with the QB camp that Keenum hosted in June and the training camp practices they hung together. It is obvious to me that Emmanuel Sanders is the number one receiver in this offense. I don't think it's even close anymore. And I can even argue that that Thomas could fall to number three mm-hmm. behind Corlin Sutton. I think, you know, Keenum and Sutton have more chemistry than Thomas does. Let's not take anything away from Demarius. Good player. He had some struggles today. Uh, but Emmanuel... 
You saw his playmaking ability, and this is a guy who questioned his love for the game last year. He openly admitted that he did not know if he loved football anymore. And part of that was because of his injuries, part of that was because of the Broncos' record, but a big part of that was because of the Broncos' struggles at quarterback. He was tired of the revolving door. He wanted a true veteran, a true number one to come in, and he was so excited to have an opportunity to work with a veteran like Case Keenum, and you can see what they've built already. Mm. He is going to lead the Broncos in receiving, and it's not going to be close. I think he'll have well over 1,000. I think he'll have 10 touchdowns this year. I think it could be a Pro Bowl season for Emmanuel Sanders. To their credit, both guys, DT's performance was a little bit more uneven than Sanders, but they both found the end zone, helped their team when the chips were down. Now, the other thing we got to talk about when it comes to the offense was that offensive line. And I wrote, you know, we've been talking about it on the podcast all summer. We saw Valdir not allow a single pressure through the preseason. I wrote a piece, uh, I think it was Friday night, might have been Saturday, talking about how don't sleep or could we be sleeping on the Broncos offensive line. And I tell you what, they sure established themselves with authority in week one. Not only did they blast open over 100 yards rushing uh, for the running backs, but Case Keenum was, I mean, he had all day to throw, by and large, for most of the day. There was a few exceptions when Seattle dialed up the blitz or, or, or ran some different stunts. But Keenum ultimately was sacked just once. I think you got to really tip your cap to this offensive line. Garrett Bowles played a really solid game. Valdir played solid. The edges at this point, Zach, seem to be bolstered. And really, the the lapses seem to come from the interior, which is where we probably least expected it before the season started. I give a lot of credit to Valdir. I saw a few pancakes and, and run blocking, and that's not even his forte. He's a better pass protector. But like you said, Keenum, his jersey was mostly clean. On that touchdown to Sanders, it was a play fake out of shotgun. And he had all the time in the world for Sanders to break open the middle and find him. And it was encouraging not only for a Broncos quarterback to get time, but to step up and make the right read on that throw. Uh, but Valdir has been a breath of fresh air. Broncos fans and the Broncos team is so used to having Donald Stevenson, Menelik Watson, Billy Turner, Alan Barber, those, you know, lessers starting at right tackle. And when you have yeah. a Valdir player who's a top 20 tackle when healthy, they got a real good value in him when they traded for him. Uh, Garrett Bowles, I, I've been saying this all, all offseason, the biggest thing they could have done for him was put Ronald Leary back at left guard. That has stabilized him to have a, a Pro Bowl caliber player working right next to him. And he was very good today. And they're expecting a, a sophomore rebound from Garrett Bowles. So I don't have many complaints with the Broncos O-line. They held up in pass protection for Keenum. They opened enough holes in the running game. It was uh, an A in my book. Yeah. The thing with Bowles is if you look across the offensive line, you got question marks with Bowles. This is preseason, you know, before the season started uh, type of concerns. You got issues with Bowles because of the penalties and him still being relatively inexperienced. And then you got complete question marks, really, with Connor McGovern as a first-time, full-time starter. But really, if you look across the line, you got Ron Larry, Pro Bowl caliber last year at left guard, Matt Parrott as a top-five center in the league, and Velder went healthy, as you said, one of the top tackles in the NFL. What could really take this offensive line from an underrated, solid unit to one of the better units in the NFL is Garrett Bowles actually capitalizing on his first-round ca- uh, talent and capabilities. That could st- just launch this unit into the stratosphere. And if you go back and look at his performance in the 2017 NFL Scouting Combine, the way he r- just rocketed up draft boards for NFL teams with that his athletic testing, I mean, he was just unbelievable. 
we knew at that point, once the Broncos drafted him at pick 20, that it was just going to be a matter of getting him some experience and tightening it up between the ears for Garrett Bowles. And Vance Joseph talked about it earlier this week before the game, that the Broncos had noticed an issue with him in his pass set that they had been tweaking and working on, and they feel like they have that ironed out with Chris Strausser coaching the tackles. So if Bowles can really take that quantum leap forward in year two that the team is expecting him to do, this offensive line could quickly talk about leapfrogging. They could become one of the better units in the league, and I honestly don't believe that's orange-colored glasses. I really don't feel like that's hyperbole. No, and a lot of Broncos fans during the summer and spring and preseason, they were they still had questions about the offensive line. I got so many questions on my Facebook Live and on Twitter that is the Broncos offensive line still a weakness? Have they improved at all? And I don't see how you can look at that front five and not see an improvement. Now you're seeing it on the field, but just on paper alone. If Connor McGovern is your weakest link, they're in pretty good shape. When you've had people like Stevenson and Menelik Watson, mm. Max Garcia starting – but like you said, I fully agree with you. If Bowles gets it together and he even shows half of his first round potential, because he didn't show much last year, they can be a top 15, top, maybe even top 10 offensive line in the NFL. And it can go from a, 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 string, a weak point to a strength, you know, a strength on this team. Right. And that's. That's the last thing on offense. They get that O-line working. I mean, you're talking about a playoff caliber team. And that's one of the things. It's it's like, you know, the type of thing where they're seen, not heard. You don't want to mention too much during the broadcast or during the game because usually when the offensive line is mentioned in a game, it's because something went wrong. And with only one or two exceptions in the opener, that proved to be the case. They were just dutifully going about their business, just wrecking shop, opening up holes in the run game, and, and keeping Case Keenum protected and giving him time to diagnose. And, you know, the, the thing is about Keenum's interceptions, those weren't plays made because he was quickly pressured or under duress. Those mm-hmm. were just bad. You know, we, ta- we already talked – we've already covered that ground. But I guess what I'm getting at is they weren't the O-line's fault. So you got to be encouraged by what you've seen early from the offensive line. And then you project that ahead next week to the Oakland game they're going into a matchup here where there's no longer really any rusher in that front seven to worry about. I mean, they have uh, Mo Hurst and Arden Key, two defensive linemen. So if the interior, you know, if they collapse, that could be trouble. The one thing I did notice, though, on that point was Matt Paradis got kind of worked today, if you notice, for a sack. Yeah, you don't really see that from him. He got pushed back, and he uh, he allowed pressure right up the middle. So if they get that short up, and I don't have a, a worry about Matt Paradis, they should be able to capitalize next week also and really start to gel. That's one thing we haven't seen from them. They haven't gotten a chance to all five play together, mostly in the preseason. The more they start to build chemistry, the more they start to work together, they're only going to get better. you got to tip your cap to the virtuoso performance of Bill Musgrave as offensive coordinator, just completely putting the Seahawks defense on their heels throughout most of the game. They, They got their licks in with the takeaways, but I was completely impressed, absolutely phenomenally impressed with Bill Musgrave's game as a play caller. I mean, 470 yards of total offense. But it was kind of a quiet day for the tight ends. You saw Jake Butt. We've t- we mentioned the one catch he made. But, you know, he, he hauled in two receptions on four targets. Hireman hauled in one. Combined, they didn't quite get to 50 yards receiving. But with the amount of talent, Zach, that the Broncos have at the receiver position and the running back, there's only so many touches to go around. And I think at the very least – those, those two mostly unproven, untested tight ends did what they were supposed to do in the debut. 
Yeah, you nailed it. There's, there's only so many balls to go around, and it's obvious that Keenum favors his receivers, and rightly so. They don't have a true superstar at tight end. Uh, Jake Butt can be a, a playmaker, but he's not there yet. I can't remember even hearing Hiram's name. He had one reception, you said. Yep. And the only time I remember uh, Matt Lacoste's name was on an incompletion that Keenum threw to him. So yep. maybe not out of the gates, the tight ends will be a focal point. It, it could just be a safety blanket or a... Uh, a fourth or fifth read in this offense, but it's definitely true and clear at this point that Keenum's reads go through the wide receivers. Yeah, most definitely. Now, we still got a lot to get to in terms of what we saw from the defense, Von Miller's big day, the pass rush, what's going on in the secondary. But first, we got to talk about my bookie because if you're watching the games, it's time to start making money. My bookie is the industry-leading website that hooks you up for all your betting needs and with their great odds, their fast payouts, and decades of expertise, you can bet with confidence. Now, your team doesn't even have to win. They just need to cover the spread. So what are you waiting for? Lay down some cash, win big today. And the thing with with fantasy or online betting, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. I trust them, but you don't have to take my word for it. Go check them out yourself. They have in-game live betting and a mobile site that makes wagering on the go easier than ever. Right now, you get the opportunity to uh, get your first deposit matched 100% up to $1,000 by using the promo code HUDDLE. Use the promo code HUDDLE, and you're going to get your first deposit up to $1,000 matched 100% by MyBookie. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, so this Broncos defense, talk about an uneven performance. It was mostly good, Zach. I mean, there's a lot to talk about here today, but there were certainly some lapses, some some poor communication on the back end of the defense in particular. I think the cornerbacks held their own. I was impressed overall with the corners. A couple of spots, Bradley Roby getting posterized by the running back there where he got leapt over. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I think from a coverage perspective, with just a couple of exceptions, the cornerbacks mostly held up. It was the back end. It was the safeties uh, between poor tackling at the second level, especially in the first half, and allowing guys to get behind them. That was my biggest bone to pick with the Broncos' defense. Justin Simmons and Darian Stewart got to step it up, and I'm – I got to say, I'm a little bit disappointed in Justin Simmons. He got the pick, which somewhat made up for his lapses uh, throughout the rest of the game. This is a guy that we both talked about as being possibly a dark horse candidate for the Pro Bowl in 2018. He's going to have to play a heck of a lot better for that to even be a conversation this year. On that long touchdown uh, to uh, Lockett, I believe, it yep. was Simmons that's supposed to have over-the-top help to Chris Harris Jr., right. and he was nowhere to be found. Uh, I was nervous in the preseason with the Broncos secondary, and I thought, okay, it's just preseason. They're just playing vanilla, no game planning, but it's really starting to, uh, time to get concerned now because this is not a Seattle team that had loads of offensive weapons. True. Their top two were Lockett and 50-year-old Brandon Marshall, who caught a touchdown <laughs> over Brandon, uh, Bradley Roby. Right. So they had some, some miscues there, and it falls on, I think, Vance Joseph and Joe Woods, both are former secondary coaches. They have to fix these lapses. This is a, a secondary that still has talent. You still have Chris Harris Jr. Justin Simmons has Pro Bowl potential. Bradley Roby was a first-round pick. Uh, you know, Darian Stewart was a once-good player, but they can they have to put it all together. And to me, the best cornerback on the field today was Pac-Man Jones. Mm-hmm. It was surprising to me. And he's definitely, I think, uh, the number three now. I think he leapfrogged uh, Tremaine Brock. They have to fix those coverage issues. They play Amari Cooper next week, Jordy Nelson next week. 
knows they're better receivers than the Seahawks had to offer. Yep. They cannot allow these coverage issues to take hold. It's going to torpedo their, their defense. And honestly, their run defense wasn't that spectacular to me either. They had a couple miscues there, and you saw it in the preseason too. So um, I think the offense as a whole was better than the defense, except for Von Miller. I mean, that's just Von Miller. He's his own entity. But the pass defense, it's starting to get worrisome for sure. Yeah, there was a, there was a couple of uh, squirt throughs the line in the rushing game, but the Broncos held the Seahawks to 64 yards on the ground. And if they can do that week in and week out, they'll finish as the number one rushing defense in the NFL. But the thing is, as you said about the passing game, that, I mean, I'm tired of hearing the coaches talk about questionable communication on the back end, about guys just needing to have more live bullet experience to get their communication down. We've been hearing right. that now from Joe Woods for going on a year. It's been a year now. And at some point, I mean, look, we're not. T- last year was understandable early on because you went from uh, Justin Simmons being expected to be the number three coming in in the big nickel to all of a sudden being thrust into starting action when T.J. Ward was cut on the doorstep of the season. It's a little bit more understandable at that point for Simmons and Stewart to not quite be on the same page uh, together and for Simmons to not necessarily be on the same page with all of the coverage schemes in his cornerbacks. But we're talking about a full year under his belt now as being a starter – you got to expect more from Justin Simmons, especially, especially when you consider his phenomenal natural ability. So those safeties, they really got to dial it up. I'm not going to uh, pick nits when it comes to Will Parks. I think when he was on the field, I didn't really see anything that jumped out to me upon my first viewing of the game that made me feel like he, you know, he was exploited. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. He did anything not up to snuff, but definitely Simmons and Stewart, they got to step it up. And let's talk about something a little bit more positive here. Let's talk about the pass rush, which seems to be absolutely back in full effect. The Broncos finished with six team sacks led by Von Miller's three. And we've talked about it on the podcast many times. If you go back the last three years, in 2017, the Broncos finished with 33 sacks. The year before that, 42 sacks. The year before that, in 2015, where they led the league in sacks, they had 52. So each year since the Super Bowl winning season, the Broncos' pass rush has steadily declined. But it's now looking like it's back in full effect. A lot of the personnel moves that have been made are going to help in that regard. But especially, as you tweeted out uh, during the game, Von Miller, he's on pace to get close to 50 sacks if he keeps this up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be incredible. He's aiming for 30, and he's already you know a, a, a tenth of the way there. So he's just – what more could you say about Von Miller? Honestly, what other superlatives could you use to describe his performance? He's just an all-world player, the best pass rusher in the NFL. And it helps having a bookend like Bradley Chubb, who – even though he's a rookie, he still garners attention from offensive lines. He's still blocked with an eye on him, and it freed up Von Miller to do what he does best, and that's get after the quarterback. It's not easy to sack Russell Wilson. He talked about it all week. He said Russell Wilson's elite, his scrambling ability. A couple times, though, Russell Wilson went right into Von Miller's lap. So the pass rush was back. 
it was encouraging that Shaq Barrett had a sack. Even Chris Harris Jr. had a sack. Yep. They were just uh, back to their orange rush defense. It was shades of 2015, and they need to be the strength. Not so much the pass defense anymore, that pass rush. And they got good push also. Shelby Harris had a pressure. Um, they're getting good push from the defensive line. So it was very encouraging. And Vaughn is just going to be Vaughn. I, I hope he does hit 30 because uh, he's well on his way. Yeah, I mean, Chubb, it was, I think, a mostly good debut as, you know, the number five overall pick being a rookie. He had a half sack on his first snap. Uh, He and and Darian Stewart shared a a sack there. But there was, on the first touchdown, you could tell, and you've, you've harped on this quite a bit, Zach, over the last few months, the difference between playing defensive end with your hand in the dirt and stand-up right. outside linebacker, sometimes you're going to be asked to go into coverage and to be able to diagnose coverages and routes. And in this case, on that first touchdown, if you go back and watch it, Ro- or uh, Chubb had the coverage of that tight end that was able to kind of, at first it looked like he was staying in the block, then he kind of faded, squirted out, and Chubb was late to respond. And, you know, the Broncos didn't do a good job on the back end of being there to cover that zone as far as the secondary. But you saw Chubb get worked in a one-on-one situation. And I think that was a play designed specifically by the Seahawks to expose Bradley Chubb's inexperience playing outside linebacker. Well, let me ask you, why was Chubb even in coverage? Why would you have him in that position? Well, you, dra- you drafted a linebacker in Josie Jewell to handle those right. responsibilities. Why? Right. I think in this I, one they just got caught because it was first down. If you were, if if you think back now again, both of us we've only had time. We're we're recording this literally uh, within an hour of the game finishing. So, but if you go back and watch, Keenan throws that first pick down the seam. Earl Thomas takes it back twenty something yards, and the Seahawks are in business. It's first down, so the Broncos are in base defense, and it just so happened on that play that the coverage that Joe Woods called it called for Bradley Chubb taking the tight end, and he just got fooled. He just, I mean, he got fooled. He kept his eyes on the quarterback, and if you think about it from Bradley Chubb's perspective, I mean, he was handed a tall task for his NFL debut. He had to walk the razor's edge of applying pressure to Wilson, constantly having your eye on him, containing him, plus in those few times you're asked to, doing a little coverage. There were a few times, though, he got caught, and that leads me to believe that it was a scheme, you know, game plan, not just he got fooled once. I just do not like having him in coverage because it's one more responsibility, right. as you just alluded to. He has so many, so much stuff already on his plate. He's converting from DE to OLB. It's two totally different positions, different responsibilities, playing in space versus playing with your hand in the dirt. Have him rush the passer, have him seal the edge, have him help and run support, have him help Russell, spy Russell Wilson, but have him dropping in coverage, though, mm-hmm. especially when you don't have a, a great safety guarding a tight end, Darian Stewart, to me, it was just a mistake. And maybe he'll improve. Maybe the Broncos wanted to see what he can do. I just would not have him at this stage in game one with all his other responsibilities asked to drop back in coverage and do something he's not familiar with. And it doesn't help that the off-ball linebackers, Todd Davis and Brandon Marshall, who both played well against the run, just were getting picked apart in coverage. They just looked like fish completely out of water in coverage. And it's really disappointing to see because you could tell that that was an emphasis for Seattle coming into this game was just to focus on the tight end, the tight end, the tight end. Seattle had over 100 yards by their tight ends plus that touchdown. So, you know, it's it's frustrating because the Broncos went into the 2018 offseason, Zach, with a plan in place to finally – hopefully neutralize the tight end Achilles heel, but then Sua Cravens couldn't stay healthy, and now he's on injured reserve, designated to return. I think the absolute soonest, and this is if 
the football gods literally open the way every step of the way. The soonest you're going to get Cravens back on the field is week nine. And even then, he's going to have rust of his own. It's, it's looking like, unfortunately, that 2018 is going to be another season where the biggest thing that's going to keep hurting the Broncos in terms of big plays and gash plays and swings like and scoring, too, are the tight ends. Who is Will Disley? I mean, did you even hear about him before this game? I mean, he's a nobody, and he put up 100 yards on the Broncos' defense at Denver. It it shouldn't happen. And it seems like for the millionth straight year, the Broncos cannot guard a tight end to save their lives. Hmm. They're good in every other facet of that defense for the most part, and they just cannot cover tight ends. Like you said, they don't have an inside linebacker, maybe aside from Josie Jewell, who can cover a tight end. They don't have a true safety who can cover a tight end. That's why they traded for Cravens, and he got injured, and he's on IR now. It's just really maddening and frustrating, and maybe it's a scheme thing. Maybe they start playing more man defense than his own defense. I don't know, but they have a, a lot of tight end, a lot of tight ends they're going to face on this uh, schedule this year. You know, they have Kelsey twice, uh, they have Antonio Gates twice, a, a lot of other tight ends better than Will Disley. And they need to get that that area of weakness shored up because it's going to kill them over and over and over again. I mean, if we were talking about the Broncos giving up a hundo and a touchdown to Travis Kelsey, you could at least understand that. If they're giving it up to one of the top tight ends in the league, but we're talking about a couple of guys who are no names. I mean, it's it's embarrassing. It really is. Now, the flip side of this coin, as I was as I was writing out uh, the five things we learned piece immediately following the game. You know, I kind of started, you know, giving giving Joe Woods a little bit of a break because, and I don't know if he's if he deserves it, but the reason I started giving him a break is because the tight end issue is an issue league wide. I mean, all teams have struggled with the proliferation of the pass catching tight end, but then you still got to bring it back to Denver and Joe Woods' individual accountability because it's been an issue in Denver dating actually even back farther than Joe Wood's time as defensive coordinator. I mean, it goes back to even Jack Del Rio's time. So it's just another thorn in the side. And as you said, if they can't, if they don't have an individual safety or linebacker who can match up one-on-one with these guys, they're going to have to come up with more creative ways from a coverage perspective, from a collective perspective, to try and at least minimize what these tight ends can do to them. Vance loves to say that players play and coaches coach. Well, it's obvious that the players are struggling right now, so the coaches should make up for it. They have Mm -hmm. to find a way to scheme a solution to these tight end issues. They just have to do it. That's why they're getting paid. Like I said, Woods and Joseph were both former secondary coaches. They, Between the two, they should have a plan in place to help offset the damage being done by tight ends. It's just inexcusable, honestly. There's enough talent on that defense as a whole to not allow Will Disley to get 100 yards and a touchdown. Yep, absolutely. And we still have a lot to get to. We're going to diagnose a bad take. We are going to talk about who needs to step it up and, of course, get to some of your questions here in the Mile High Mailbag. But first, we got to talk about sponsor of today's show, Lightstream. Now, listen to me, you guys. Have you ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Did you know that you could actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate. I mean, as someone who just went through the process of paying off what little debt I had, consumer debt, through a mortgage process, I, I, I just sold a house over the over the summer, I understand how this can really kill you. I mean, interest rate compounds, and it can add up and get you. But Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% AP, uh, percent APR with auto pay. Okay, that's lower than the average credit card interest rate, which is typically over 18% APR. 
You can get a loan from five thousand to up to a hundred thousand, and you can get you can even get your funds as soon as the very day that you apply. It can be that quick. Lightstream believes that people with good credit, you deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And here's a fun fact too with Lightstream, they plant a tree at, with every single loan that they fund. So we're we're trying to save this the earth, right? We're trying to stop the earth from cataclysmic climate change. Lightstream's doing their part, too, by planting a tree with every single loan they fund. Now, our listeners will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash huddle up. That's lightstream.com slash huddle up, and you can get the discount that you need to consolidate all your consumer debt that's dragging you down into one payment and get the absolute best APR interest rate possible. Again, that is lightstream.com slash huddle up. Subject to credit card approval. Rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash huddle up for more information. Gotta love Lightstream. So stoked that those guys came to the table wanting to sponsor the show because it's a phenomenal, phenomenal service and an opportunity because consumer debt is brutal in this country. So do yourself a favor and consolidate that into one payment with a smaller interest rate. All right, so let's move on to, it's, it's been a while since we rolled out this segment, diagnosing a bad take, but I had one that popped up across my Twitter feed during the Games Act that I want to get out here and talk about. Now, there's a fellow on Twitter, I don't know, Forgive my ignorance. I've never seen him actually tweet links in which he's, uh, you know, has a byline or that he's written anything. It's usually just online or, you know, uh, NFL commentary on Twitter. But a fellow by the name of Kent McHallington, Kent McHallington on Twitter, it's at NFL McHallington. Not sure if you pronounce I don't even know if it's this guy's real name. Put him on blast. I I was talking about, uh, (laughs) well, you know, you're going to see here. So we're talking about Case Keenum responding. We mentioned it earlier in the game. Okay, Uh, Case Keenum responding to adversity. Well, he had thrown that last interception in which the Seahawks were able to drive down and take the lead, and it was looking dire for the Broncos. And I went out on Twitter and I tweeted, quote, gut check for Keenum and the Broncos. We'll see if that veteran medal pays off in the clutch. Kent came back with, quote, veteran medal equals six teams in six seasons. That Case Keenum. So, I think that's a bad take, and here's why it irritated me. And I said something back to him like, ever the eternal optimist, you know, don't ever change, Kent, type thing. (laughs) But here's the thing about Case Keenum is we talked about it earlier in the show, but you saw it. Here's what separates one of the things that separates inexperienced um, ineptitude that we've seen from the quarterback position in Denver for the last couple years from what you saw on Sunday. And, yes, Kent, it comes down to veteran medal. When the chips were down, did Keenum respond? Yes or no? The answer is absolutely. And that's what, Zach, completely separates the, the average quarterbacks from the good to the great is when it matters most, when the chips are down, when you're backed into a corner, when you just got clocked in the jaw, do you get up and keep swinging? And Case Keenum responded to the bell on Sunday. I think the title you're looking for is Twitter Troll. Not no bylines necessary. That's, that's what it's doing. That's the only. That's the only purpose. Is, it seems like this tweet is just to stoke the fires. And if you're talking about you know a journeyman. If you're making fun of him for being a journeyman and right. having so many teams, look at Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
Mm-hmm. No one wanted him. He's with the Bucks now. They hung 48 on New Orleans today at New Orleans in a victory. Mm-hmm. Josh McCown a few years ago, he had a good season with the Jets, another journeyman. That doesn't matter. A lot of quarterbacks change teams until they find the one that's right for them. And he just did not get his break. I'm not trying to excuse him. He's not Peyton Manning. He's not Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Right. Uh, but he is a capable quarterback. He That's why he came within one game of a Super Bowl last year, and he got a big contract. And it wasn't even a huge contract. So I don't put any stock into the fact that he's had six teams, and that's why he doesn't have any medal. Mm-hmm. He has medal because he showed that he, have, he has medal. He came back, and he responded. when, Like you said, when the chips were down and it was looking bleak, he didn't go into a shell. His confidence never wavered. He stepped up literally in the pocket and moved the ball down the field and got them in the end zone and yeah. got a victory. Yeah. So that's the medal I look for, not what's on his resume. That's what you got to hang your hat on. And he kept his guys believing. You know, that was another thing that I wrote about before the game is, you know, when things go sideways early in games, how does this version of the Broncos respond? Because last year we saw their you-know-what's go in the dirt. They'd hang their heads. Here we go again, hands on hips, looking at their cleats, and it would just pile up. If something happened like that early in the game, like it did on Sunday, with Keenum throwing that first pick down the seam, and then the Seahawks immediately turn it into seven points, the 2017 Broncos would have gone in the tank. It would have been virtually impossible for them to come back. But not this team, and that happened throughout the game. As frustrating as it was to see those setbacks and those interceptions, each and every time the Broncos, under Case Keenum's leadership, found a way to respond. So, you know, six teams, six seasons, here's the thing you got to keep in mind with that in regards to Case Keenum. Give him a little bit of a break. The guy went undrafted. And guys who go undrafted, they don't have any of that credit built up in the bank that first-rounders like Paxton Lynch, who get three years of swinging and missing, swinging and missing, swinging and missing, they don't have any of that credit. So that's one of the reasons Case Keenum floated around. But the Broncos believe that he unlocked that next floor of his development last year in Minnesota. And if the early returns this year are any indication, it's looking like they're right because – I think it was enough that to be encouraged by as a as a coaching staff and as a front office, and enough for Case Keenum to go, okay, a couple of slight tweaks here and there, and this can be like on fire caliber offense for the Broncos. If we're going by what should be versus what is, Tom Brady should have been a nothing, and Jamarcus Russell should have been a superstar. It just doesn't work that way in the NFL. And no matter how many teams you can be on, how many years you can play, if you can show you can compete and you can win, you can put it all together, you're going to find success. So to me, veteran medal, I don't want to harp on it too much and really destroy the guy, but it's not predicated on how many teams or one team or consistency or longevity. You have to move around. And he was undrafted, like you said. He had no status coming out. And he worked with Gary Kubiak. And, and with the Texans, and, and he found his way to Denver. He had a, a good resurgent year last year, a career year with the Vikings, and he, it paid off for him, literally and figuratively. So I give him credit and props for battling back today, and he showed just a glimpse of what he can be in this offense, and what he can be is the Broncos' best quarterback since Peyton Manning. Kent, last thing I'll say on this, 470 yards, total yards, over 300 passing, three touchdowns, 27 points in the W. What more can you ask for Case Keenum in his Broncos debut? All right, two more segments, then we're out of here. First, it's time. We haven't done this for a long, for a while. It's been a while. I don't even think that you and I have done it together, Zach, since we've been podcasting as a duo here. But it's time for Step Your Game Up. That time each and every week when we got to point the spotlight into one of those nooks and crannies on the Broncos roster, somebody that has to step it up. And I think today... 
Zach and I went back and forth on this, but ultimately we came to the the realization that it has to be Demarius Thomas because you saw how impactful he can be when he actually executes and does what he's supposed to do just by that. A couple of first down receptions he made in that touchdown late that gave Denver the, the lead that they would not relinquish. But the drops, Zach, that's why people get so frustrated with Demarius Thomas is he giveth and he taketh away. He gave his haters so much more ammo today with those drops. In that brutal uh, first quarter when he had a penalty and drops, and it was just a disaster. I can't remember a worse start for Demarius Thomas. And he needs to step his game up because he's the highest-paid receiver on this team. Over $12 million in a salary cap number. He wants to be the number one. He's the homegrown guy there, and he can't catch the ball. He, he, he has he has to learn how to just make those simple plays for the team and not hurt them. So he needs to step his game up, and he, or else he can't risk falling behind Cortland Sutton. He's already behind Emmanuel Sanders as far as I'm concerned on the depth chart, and Sutton was drafted to take his place. He's his long-term successor, and the transition, the changing of the guard could happen sooner than later. Yep. He has to step up. He has to, you know— be the number one. Be this big body possession receiver. And you can't be a possession receiver if you can't make possessions. So uh, he needs a better game. He needs a rebound performance. It was not acceptable, even with that touchdown today. I think he's got to shave the mustache, goatee, Fu Manchu, whatever <laughs> you call it. I think that's what's got his dragged his game down. The football gods aren't digging that. I think it's time for him to go back to, you know, if you're going to have a little on the chin maybe or some sideburns, but – I don't know, Zach. I don't think this stash is fitting him, and that might be – I mean, you go back to – you watch Major League and different sports movies, guys get into slumps. They look for any kind of uh, superstitious sign that might lead them to reverse the slump. Maybe that's it for DT. Maybe it's the vegan diet. <laughs> that could be yeah. too. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, DT, you got to step your game up, dude. Step it up. Now, before we get out of here, we got to take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag because Zach and I are your football priests, and we're here to offer – absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions each and every week. And our first question comes from Terry Rigg. We're, we're running short on time, so we're going to do a couple questions today from the mailbag. But Terry's question is, Zach, we know it was a coach's decision, but why was Demarcus Walker inactive? Denver's second-round pick from 2017, who everyone's been geeked up and excited about taking a quantum leap forward this year. I hated this. I was not happy at all that he was inactive. And I understand it was probably game plan specific. They want to go with five defensive linemen. But if they wanted an interior push from the defensive line, why make him inactive? Every time he's been active, he's shown he can push the pocket and he can get after the quarterback. He has true breakout potential. And they finally moved him back to defensive end from OLB, his natural position. He can After he was finally going to get playing time, he made the final roster, obviously. And they made him inactive in week one. For a player like Zach Kerr, it just made no sense to me. I don't know. I'm assuming it was because of the game plan called for it. And I would look for him to be active against the uh, Raiders next week because Carr is a pocket passer. Maybe it was just all about quarterbacks. I did not like it, though. He needs to be on the field. Let him shine. Let him thrive. He needs chances to play and to to prove that he was a good second-round pick. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think it did have something— uh, to do with the Broncos, not quite trusting him with his level of inexperience with a quarterback as savvy and just hard to get a beat on as Russell Wilson. But I think the other thing you got to keep in mind too, Terry, is that if you are a player lower on the depth chart and you're not an immediate impact player or a starter and you don't play special teams, you're going to be one of those guys that's on the bubble of being inactive 
each and every week. Now, the Broncos sat down one of their six off-ball linebackers in Alexander Johnson, formerly known as A.J. Johnson, but they still dressed five, and the reason Mm -hmm. why is special teams. And I agree with you. I don't think Demarcus Walker will be inactive next week because it's not really that moving target uh, that Russell Wilson, that type of uh, task in front of him. It's going to be Derek Carr in the pocket, tee off, get after him. Yeah, and I hope he's you know active. I hope he's playing because, he, he, like I said, he has true breakout potential, just like Shelby Harris last year. They need someone to push the pocket. You saw what happens when they push the pocket against the Seahawks. It allows the outside linebackers to shine, and he needs to be on the field. So I'm I'm looking for him to be active next week, and maybe even uh, in spite of a, a inside linebacker too. They don't need to carry six. They shouldn't even dress five. But that's another story for another day. Absolutely. So look for him to come back next week. Hopefully, it's just a temporary setback for him on his mission of having that quantum leap forward in his second year as a pro. Um, but last question, and then we're going to get out of here from David just because we're running short. We're coming close on an hour. We like to try and keep it to that tight to that hour point. Uh, but the question comes from David Brady. His question, now we got one game under our belt. We got enough to kind of whet our appetite. It was enough to kind of, you know, not necessarily make some far-reaching conclusions, but enough gleanings to have some real takeaways. And I think it's enough to kind of project a little bit more uh, in a more educated sense what to expect this season. So with that being said, David's question is, do the Broncos have what it takes to be on top in the AFC West and go on to win the AFC? And Zach, is VJ the man to do it? This is a two-part question, obviously. So I'll answer the first part first. On paper, talent-wise, based on what we saw after one week, and so many things can change. Injuries and, and teams can and rise and fall. It's too soon to say. But on paper, the Broncos absolutely have the talent to win the West. And it could be their surest path to the playoffs. I, if, they, if they go 9-7 and seven and win the division, they're obviously in. But 9-7 and seven might not get, be enough to get them in as a wild card. Mm-hmm. And what I saw today, the Chiefs still look good. The Chargers are not as great as we thought they'd be. And I think the Raiders will lose tomorrow. They're going to be a very uh, disappointing team. The Broncos on paper have what it takes to compete with the Chiefs. Whether they do actually do that, though, whether they can, falls on Joseph. And I'm not of the opinion, and I've been this way for a long time, I don't think he's the guy to get the Broncos back to the postseason. Based on what I've seen. And even today, he didn't do anything to win or lose the game, but he didn't do anything to win me over either and change my mind. I just don't think he's the head coach to break this postseason drought and get them back to the playoffs. That's just my personal opinion. But can they do it? Yes. Do they have the talent? Yes. In the best-case scenario, talent-wise, they're a 9-10 win team. But is VJ the one to do it? I have my reservations. And I think at, you know, coming off 5-11 and 11 and some of the snafus we've seen from VJ's short tenure as the head coach, I think that's a fair assessment. But here's what I'll say for those of you that are looking for silver linings when it comes to VJ uh, moving into 2018 in his second year. John Elway believed in him to bring him back. He gave him enough of a benefit of the doubt to bring him back for one more year. So until proven otherwise, give him the benefit of the doubt and see what happens. Although I understand pe- your mindset on that, Zach. You know, it's I'm in a similar holding pattern with regard to BJ of kind of wait and see. But when it comes to the talent of this team, I'll, I'm going to go out on a limb right now. I think the Broncos are going to win double digits this year. 
Okay. Wow. Now, if you go back in time to last year, they come off a you know nail biter, beating the the Chargers in Week One. It took a blocked field goal from Shelby Harris to get it done, and then they go on to finish three and one in the first quarter of the season. It would have been easy then to say, you know, the Broncos are going to win double digits. And at least you would have, after four games, a little bit more of a sample size to make that kind of a, of a claim. But I saw enough talent on that field to be very impressed. I think they can win double digits this year. It's just a matter of shoring up some of these, these mental lapses. And a lot of it comes down to just guys getting more time playing together on offense with Case Keenum. And I think you're going to see a Broncos team that legitimately has the potential to finish in the top 10 on both offense and defense. And you you mentioned it, the Chargers, everyone was crowning the Chargers before the season started as the team to beat in the AFC West. And who knows, maybe they'll go on, you know, they'll lose five of their first six and go on to win, you know, uh, most of their remaining games and make them put themselves at least in the conversation and then they'll probably fall short. That's what the, the <laughs> Chargers do each and every year. It's looking like Pat Mahomes He's real gonna, deal. He's, he's he's for real, and that's gonna that's gonna be the real test, I think, for the Broncos. The Chargers pass rush. It's always gonna be tough, but they just always find a way to shoot themselves in the foot. It's the Chiefs and the Broncos. We'll see what the Chargers do, but I I think the the Broncos have what it takes to win double digits. Whether or not they do it again comes down to coaching and Vance Joseph and his staff putting guys in the best position possible to succeed. Say what you want about the Chiefs. I know it'll be painful for the Broncos fans to give the Chiefs credit, but Andy Reid knows his quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes really, really impressed me today. The kid is a baller. And he's going to be a tough task for this Broncos defense because he, he's a dual threat, strong arm and good legs. To your point, it's the one thing I want to add. If they can win 9 or 10 games, they have to hope the injury bug stays away. Right. They're clean through week one, but that often changes. If they have no injuries, of all the stars align, yeah, they can win 9 and 10 games. Yeah, they can win the West. But will they? In my mind, on September 9th, it's a little too soon to say. But week one, 1-0, one you can't hate that. And that's fair. But hey, you guys, that's all the time we have for today. Your Denver Broncos, at the end of the day, bottom line, though, they're emerging from week one. Want to know? You're, they're undefeated. We'll see how long they can keep it that way. But you can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter at Kelberman247, myself at Chad and Jensen. Uh, look for the Building the Broncos uh, podcast preview, the Scouts Eye preview for the Raiders game on Wednesday. I'm sure Trickle's got something cooked up for you guys to look forward to uh, throughout the remainder of the week. Zach and I, we're still trying to uh, figure out exactly what our schedule is going to be. If we're going to be able to do two episodes each and every week, stay tuned for that. But you know, at the very least, we're going to be here offering up our gut reaction to each and every game immediately following the game uh, for the next 16 weeks. So make sure you're uh, subscribing, you guys, because it's going to be one doozy of a season. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.